Please turn in your Bible to James chapter five. As a community, we've been studying the book of James, a collection of, of wisdom uh, that he has put together for a, the church of how to be wise and live um, in light of the gospel. My brother-in-law was praying yesterday for dinner, and he said, thank you, God, for a lot of different, you know, thanking him for everything. He says, thank you for the weather this week. And then he sort of paused, and we all just sort of looked at him like, okay, which part? Like the 100-degree weather or the tornado? <laughs> it's good to give thanks and all things, I, I guess. I live up on West River Drive, and... Uh, it got pretty turbulent. Hey, and I would say, though, if, if anybody is struggling because of that, like, we, can, we need to come around each other as a community. And, um, and so I just want to welcome you to make your need known. And, and we can put it out to the partners here. If you're not on the partner communications, we can, we can still figure out how to uh, communicate, especially if you have a chainsaw or strength, or whatever, like uh, an encouraging presence, if you will. Uh, you know, we'll take it, because some, some of the folks in my neighborhood got hit um, pretty hard. I would also like to mention that half of this sermon was written during the tornado, so if, if it seems a little turbulent at times, then just factor in the soundtrack I'm working with. And not for nothing. Um, as, you, as you read these verses with me. So please stand for the reading of James chapter five, verse one through six. We'll keep, we'll keep the, the baby crying for this one because listen, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail. Weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you. Your wealth is rotten, moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and consume your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you have failed to pay, the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the, Lord, the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence and have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Welcome to Crossroads Bible Church, everybody. Amen. This is the word of the Lord today. You may have a seat. Just a little word of encouragement to you today. <laughs> I wonder why these two, this week was open on the sermon schedule list, uh, you know, I'm just kidding. Today uh, is a great opportunity that we have this week even to consider um, a topic that I like to call money God and how this, that's just a term that I use for um, worship of riches and wealth um, and, and, and a thing that isn't bad in and of itself can turn into an idol and one that has some turbulent, um, devastating realities in our lives. If we aren't careful, money God can take over and devastate our lives and the people that are around us, and it, can, it, and it will consume you. I mean, listen to even just some of the language here. It will consume you like a fire. 
It's something that we need to talk about. And that's why I, I think just one of the first things that I think about when I read this is that as I look at the, um, the, the actual words of, of this paragraph, it's very loud, expressive right away. Look, look, who are you? listen, those who are rich. Look, listen to the cries that are crying out against you, the cries that are reaching the ears of the Lord of hosts. Is this a battle that you want, a fight that you want to pick? Uh, the imagery is like very vivid and, and palpable. It's, it's like, it's designed to be something that is awakening for us. That's how language works, right? I mean, on, on Thursday night, I got a lot of phone calls. You know, turn on the news, you know, look at what's going on out there, right? And I turn on the news, and I didn't see a meteorologist go, yawn, yawn, yawn. This, this night is, you know, could be a good night, maybe a tornado. I don't know. Let's just all have a safe night. It was, like, very uh, serious. And, like, watch out. There's sirens going on outside t telling us, like, be careful. Take cover. This is the same sound of this this text, what we're talking about here is not something that we should just take lightly and just think maybe it'll work itself out on its own. There's something that could be very dangerous and devastating here. Unfortunately, though, verses like this have been used to um, create leverage against people who would consider themselves wealthy, although in my experience, not that many people do consider themselves wealthy because in some senses, the, the rich are always someone who is richer than you. And unless you're Elon Musk, well, actually, I did hear an interview where Elon Musk, Musk was like, I don't have that much money. I don't know what you guys are talking about. And we're like, what? This isn't meant to be a blanket statement, I don't think, just against anybody who has money you know, like a general, you guys are the bad guys. When we start to use verses like this against the haves, from the have-nots, we start to create sort of a, a false message here uh, that just, you're the bad ones, we're the good ones, and in the age to come, we'll be the ones laughing or whatever, right? That's, that has been used, this has been used in that way before. But I did notice in this paragraph and the paragraph preceding it, something that, literarily speaking, seems interesting to me about how this could work. You might have noticed uh, something's missing in, in this week's reading and last week's reading. If you're reading James carefully, there's a word that's being used in almost every paragraph in every chapter um, so far. It's the Greek word adelphoi. And it's the word for sibling. In Greek, the, uh, you know, brotherly love, Philadelphia, or if you read the Beth Moore book, uh, Archadelphia. Um, Delphi, Adelphi is the word for siblings. There's, there's a, a direction that this has been going throughout the whole book. Brothers and sisters, it's a plea. Listen to me, let's come together, brother and sister. In these paragraphs, it's you who say and you who are. And it, to me, almost sounds more like an objective uh, perspective. It, it, let's lift up this type of thinking, more of an idea. Let's lift up this, this thing, and let's evaluate it. 
Is this what we want? Is this really what we want? There's a temptation in all of us, either the, whether it's the paragraph preceding or, or this one, to be prideful with our stuff last week, with our time, with our location and vocation, and this week with our resources. It's mine. And James, I think, is coming around this with a very like intense passion to say, this is thinking that can go into a really bad place. And so... Um, let's evaluate it. Let's lift it up and look at it and see what's actually under the hood. For those of you who went to the Metro cruise yesterday, let's look what's under the hood. Not that many people, apparently. It's, uh, it's kind of wild, you know? Don't go down there. Um, so, is James doing that, and is it effective at all? I was reading a book this week, and there was a story that came out that I thought was really profound. It was a person who was born only five years after James died. So he was second generation Christian. And as he was, he, he, he raised up in the church, became a leader. And near the end of his life, well, actually this is a story of the end of his life, there was uh, an inquisition that went out against the Christians in the Roman Empire. And what they were doing was they were trying to see what, the, what are these Christians? What are, what's going on with them? And so they would ask questions that would end up actually be, it would put them in an awkward position. So they were asking them, do you, you know, pledge your loyalty to Caesar? And if they said no, then they would be treated with suspicion or, or even at times like as if they were betraying the country or the, the empire. Listen to this. This guy's name is Polycarp. Polly for short. They came to his house. He knew they were coming. He's one of the greatest leaders in Turkey, in that, in that region. And then they get to his house. He is ready for this. He knows what's going to happen. They're going to arrest him. And they knock on the door, and he invites them in and made them dinner. Okay? So they hang out. They have a nice time. And then they arrest him. They take him to... Um, they take him to a public trial in the games, okay? And they bring him before the whole crowd and they say, do, do you pl pledge loyalty to Caesar? And in, in essence, less loyalty to Christ. And he said, if for I was to say that, it would be almost like I would have to deny my own existence. You know who I am. I am a Christian and I am loyal to Christ. The crowd starts to shout, they, they, they get ready to uh, put him to death. But what they said was really interesting to me. They shouted at him. This is a teacher of Asia. This is a father to the Christians and a destroyer of our gods. He is one of the, the first people like in Christianity to become referred to as an atheist because he was denying the gods that were prevalent in their day, and it became a huge threat to the way that they did their life. Gods are in control of a lot of things. If you don't play the game, you're gonna mess with our whole society, maybe. But I was struck by that line, he is a destroyer of the gods. We have gods that are prevalent in our society right now that are that are that have our neighbors captive our kids captive our hearts even in some of our hearts just parts of that captive 
I would love it if we just started to act and live in a discerning way that when people were, were uh, threatened by our way of life or, or found us enigmatic in some way, it started to push that button again of this, they're threatening our gods. But you know what's gonna happen? It's, it's not gonna be easy. I even thought about that this week. When we start talking about idols and idolatry in our culture, we put a target on our back. We start to get, uh, you know, all kinds of pushback because the gods of this age are trying to cause disturbance, disruption, uh, to kill, steal, and destroy, to hurt our world. But if you would have just the encouragement and the energy today to say, no, I want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven advancing in this world, and part of that means talking about it, pushing back against the idols that have so many of us in their grip. Crossroads Bible Church, the destroyer of gods. But it takes humility and courage to step up to that and say, all right, let's ask some hard questions. How bad is it, Doc? Let's cut it out. We stand on a long, long history of Christian people who have been able, like Polycarp and all of them, all the way back in the first and second century to now, who have been willing to heed the call and say, is there idols in our lives and how can we live in such a way that will, that will show the truth of Jesus Christ who is setting people free? The one true God versus money God. So all that I have today to walk through are um, the five accusations that I found in these verses, and I've clumped them into three different groups. I just wanna explore those for a little while, and maybe we can sort of see how the gospel can lift us up out of it. So uh, I put it in three groups. Number one, the, there's a temptation in our lives to seize Number two, sacrifice. And number three, suffer when we follow money, God. So the first thing, to seize. Um, this is a temptation. It says here, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. You have accumulated all of this stuff. And so grieve it. Weep and wail the reality that's coming upon you that this isn't actually solving the problem. It's a tempting thing to start to accumulate and to hoard and to save stuff for ourselves because it feels good. It feels like we're we have some measure of control about what happens to us long term. If we can at least just get to this certain spot uh, with, with our finances or with what, without what resources we have, um, we can then ensure that we're gonna be okay for a little while longer. Um, I used to live off of Leonard and near Alpine, and my sister was living with us, and she was feeling, wasn't feeling well. And it was later on in the night, and I was like, Bree, I'm gonna go down, I'm gonna buy you some uh, Verners from the gas station. So I walked over to the Shell station on Alpine and Leonard, and at night, you have to open up a, did I tell you this story before? You have to open up a window, and uh, you know, do, do your dealings that way, and I'm like, I need a bottle of Verners. And as I'm sitting there, this guy comes up to me, and he's like, hey, do you have any extra change? I do, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna give him whatever I have, so I give him my money, and the Verners comes back, and she's like, that'll be 257. And I'm like, shoot, I just gave all of my money to this person standing right here. So then I go, hey, 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 can I please get 257 back from that? that I, and the guy goes, 
I can't, I can't have a lot of stuff I need to buy. I'm like, well, I, I just gave that to you. I had to tip him upside down and like panties are coming out. I finally got what I needed to move forwards. We, you know, I said it's for my sister. And so this, this grasping mentality that it feels so right can go just so deep. And it doesn't have to be somebody who has all of the money or even very little of the money or wealth. It's a temptation that money God will tell us to justify. Save that for yourself. What the grieve, grieve, the weeping and wailing is about here is to realize, though, that that stuff is not going to fix it. I mean, there really is no amount of money I've ever seen anybody go, I got it. <laughs> I've got it all stored up, and this is good. I don't need to save anymore. Like, it's, it's, it's all set. It's, it's, there's always $10,000 more, or there's always this, this much more that we're going for, or, or we're always going to have some more to worry about and try and figure out how to solve that problem. Your, your wealth has rotten, so imagine something organic there like um, grain or oil. This has gone bad. And who hasn't bought so much food sometimes that you're just like, thank you, Costco, whatever. Like we come home and like in two weeks, you're like, what, did, what was I thinking? I just wasted that. And it's sad. I'm weeping. I'm growing. Okay, this is the, the emotion here. What about the clothes that you look at and you're like, what happened to that? What does it say? Your clothes have been eaten by bugs? Like we haven't touched that in so long that that is now becoming, it's deteriorating. The wealth has become corroded. The, uh, the, the silver and gold have become corroded. The, the, the thing that we use for our transactions or, or the currency that we use is becoming less and less valuable as time goes on. Yet we have so much, like wh why do we have that stored up in that way? Now we might start thinking though that this is just a me problem. But if this pattern persists, look what ends up happening in the following indictment here. As we have been tempted to seize, to hoard, and to store, we start to believe that the people that, are, that I'm doing uh, business with or interacting with, they, they don't need this stuff. Look, the wages that you are owing someone are crying out against you. How easy is it, especially in our inherited culture, to start thinking, how can I get the best deal, the smallest amount of money for the biggest amount, for, for, for what I can get? How can I, uh, you know, work an angle here? Even to the point where some people, we like owe money to someone and just don't pay. I think probably an easy one to think about is tipping. Can we talk about it for a second? I mean, I've... I, it was sad that I used to have a gal living with us who was a server, and she said, Sunday's the worst day to work. Because Christians have a problem with this sometimes. Um, why? Well, it looks like punishment for some sort of sin, right? So you, you all, I, I could have given you this much. I'm paying, <laughs> I'm not gonna give you this much because of something, whether it's not treating me like the king that I think I am while I'm eating out or whatever. Maybe they're just having a bad day. But here's an opportunity where we really have to evaluate um, 
Am I so just naturally keeping for myself that I would be willing to even see people in that way anymore? So it reminds me of a parable that Jesus taught, um, the parable, uh, what we call the unjust uh, steward. And not a lot of people talk about this because it kind of seems weird. So let me just paraphrase. There's a very wealthy um, landowner. He has a manager, and the manager gets fired. Now, the manager goes into crisis mode. He has one day left to work. He doesn't know what to do. And so he's like, I can't go start a whole new trade. My resume is gone. What can I do? He gets an idea. He goes to all of his accounts, and he sees what they owe, and he cuts the bill in half. Bearer of good news, right? He comes in, you owe us 100? Well, guess what? It's on the house for 50%. Just remember, all of us, and <laughs> especially all of us, right, in the future, who have uh, treated you so well, right? So he goes around and does this. When the landowner finds out, the landowner commends him for his strategy. Jesus then says, frankly, Make friends for yourself using worldly wealth so that they will someday invite you into eternal dwellings. Or paraphrase, leverage your money in a way that makes you friends with somebody so that when it counts, they're gonna, they're gonna invite you into a space, uh, that deep eternal space. That's where we wanna be anyways. Money can be an opportunity for us to, to represent God in a, in a certain way. That's what this parable is all about. God would be the, the, the owner of everything, and the representative has a gamble that he wants to make. Does the person I'm representing want to be perceived as generous? Because that day could have gone a lot differently if the landowner would have walked around and said, that guy lied to you, and I actually want you know, the full price, and it's a lose, lose, lose then. The win-win-win is they get a discount, he gets credibility, and the owner gets viewed as the most generous person of all time, which he was happy to be viewed as, because he is. So when we're representing God in this world, we're, we are obligated to confirm that. We don't have a stingy God. We don't have a God that says we'd only have so much. We, gotta be, we, we have a God that's like, what do you want to do? Five, five loaves of bread and two fish? I can make that work and be generous with even that, that small amount. I, can, I, can, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Let's see how far we can take this. God wants to, be rep, uh, wants to be represented by us in a way that makes him look generous. So if you have an opportunity to forgive or if somebody has done something that, is, uh, that looks like they've hurt your feelings in some way, even at a restaurant or something, we can make them pay for it, or we can say that bill's already been paid. Jesus Christ has paid for all of that. He's so generous, and I wanna confirm that to you and let you know and go above and beyond what I need to do right now. And in order to live like that, which by the way, is such an exciting way to live life because the world that we live in expect us to punish each other. Yeah, there's a metric that everybody's working on. They're all doing the same thing. We have an opportunity to be enigmatic in this world and to say that's just not how we're gonna do, do business. We actually have a, a, an opportunity to show people the gospel even with our, the way we use our money. In order to do that, it requires us to at least admit it and to also practice opening up our hands. 
if we have been seizing, and if this is even, you know, a, a small part of, of your daily life, maybe it's today where you say, I'm gonna actually start trusting God with that more and saying, I don't have control. And I'm gonna open my hands up today. I'm so excited to see what the Lord's gonna do with the five loaves of bread and two fish that you bring to the table and to see what's gonna happen. I've done like five weddings for bartenders in this town. I don't know them other than the fact that we've been exchanging money and things and, and they're like, I like this guy. He loves me. There's something here that I don't know what it is, but I want to invite him into the eternal space in my life and see uh, what happens with that. I'm excited for it. So yeah, something to think about. The second thing, so we have seas and we also have sacrifice. Look in, um, look in that verse that says, you through luxurious living, uh, have been so self-indulgent, you've fatted yourself for the day of slaughter. This is almost the opposite of, of the previous indictment. If it was seizing before, this, this type of thing is, I, I, or I, I held on to so much before that it went to waste. This one is, I, I wasted it, I spent, uh, but on myself. Um, this is something that is very tempting to us all even now. Money God is gonna tell us no matter our age, um, you earned it, you could do whatever you want with it. Give the 10% to the Lord, good grief, but the 90%, like, don't even ask. Who, who, who's gonna tell you what to do with that? You earned it. Whether we are on one side of the age spectrum or the other, there is temptations with this. I worked so hard. I accumulated this. This is, this is me. This is what I can do. I can do whatever I want with it. Or even some of the other people I hear nowadays saying, you know, you only live once. Why not? Why wait? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And it's just, this is my right. Is it? I mean, when did we give ourselves so much permission and agency uh, with our finances and resources? Uh, I, I just want to encourage you to consider who told me. I'm not trying to lay like a heavy yoke on. I'm just, it is, it is actually a heavier yoke to say, I am going to be the one to decide what I do with all of this. I see it all the time. People who have just a lot of, of resources are constantly thinking about what am I, what do I do with this, you know? And if we're not careful, we can turn into people who are just, I don't know, maybe, maybe living in, a, in such a way that doesn't necessarily communicate compatibility with the kingdom of heaven. I mean, here, it's all being spent on themselves. The reason why I chose the word sacrifice for this one is because of that phrase, fattened for the slaughter. It's not clear to us sometimes when, when words like that come out, but in the New Testament, this phrase is only used for um, sacrifices that are being made. Like a lamb who is getting ready for a sacrifice or a calf or something like that. And so I guess this sort of offhanded remark can read the, what, the way that we're using our resources can cause us to see sacrifices that we're making to a certain God. You fatten yourselves for the slaughter. You're, you're, you're sacrificing to a certain God. The question is, which one? Is it money, God? Is money God's gonna say for you? You earned it, you deserve it. Spend it on yourself. And more and more comes out of that, and we start to see at the end of our lives, 
I have been just worshiping another God. How do I start to evaluate that? Well, one of the things to evaluate is, am I happy with what I've been doing? Has it been working? Has that God been telling you, this will make you happy? Your next purchase will make you happy. And is it? What'll end up happening is we'll have just all these opportunities to consume and we become just no better for it. And we look back and go, yeah, I'm overfed, but I'm undernourished. I, have, uh, I haven't been able to reach that point of satisfaction that I've been promised. A philosopher that I like once said, I, I wish that everybody could get their idol as soon as possible because then they would realize how empty it is. Some of us spend our whole lives chasing after an idol only to find later on in life that that was a, a regretful thing. We regret it because it just goes into emptiness. It goes into a place where, where it didn't work. And then we open ourselves up to despair. We open ourselves up to feeling like massive amounts of regret. But maybe another way of looking at that is then, it, it, when you're auditing yourself here, is, is am I spending all of my resources on myself? Or, or what percentage of it is? It's a hard question, but it's, it's something worth asking. What, what ratio would be more consistent with the kingdom? Jesus told this parable that has really messed with Christians since like day one. A parable about himself. He says the son of man will return and he will separate people, the sheeps and the goats. Now this parable, it, it kind of has like a mirror image of, of itself. It's this king has separated these people and he says, the, the ones who are good versus the ones that are bad are the ones who have, rep, who have recognized me in this world when I was in need. They both respond the same way. When did we see you in need? And he said, when you did, fed, the, fed the hungry, gave drink to those who are thirsty, clothes to those who are in need, and visited me in prison. You did it to me when you've done it to the least of these. So Jesus, in a sense, he kind of ties himself uh, to people who are in need in our life. Oftentimes, I think we think, I'm the one with the Jesus, and I give it to the person in need. But if you right now are thinking, my relationship with God has just felt really shallow and like distant, and I don't really know him anymore, maybe this is an opportunity to figure out where he is. Enrichment time, right, in your relationship could be taking care of the needs of the people that are around you. And we can make this as complicated or as simple as possible. I tend to be more on the complicated side of things. Recently, my neighbor, like a thousand times, his lawnmower is breaking, and I have a truck, so we were going back and forth to the shop all the time, trying to fix it, and I'm, you know, I'm getting to the point where I'm like, okay, we need to buy this guy a new lawnmower. But I read when helping herds, so we got to factor that in. And then we want dignity here. We got to factor that in. We want to teach a man to fish. We got to factor that in. And like make it all complicated. And I'm like, Chelsea, we need to get our budget ready. We need to get, wouldn't it be great if we figured out a way to just not too nice, but nice enough. And like, and um, Chelsea just looks at me and she goes, why don't you just mow his lawn for him? 
<laughs> and I'm like, oh, yes, I, okay, this, this is it. All right, I can do this. It's way less complicated to just go do it, you know? And he happens to work for a pizza parlor, and he gives me a pizza every time I mow his lawn. And so <laughs> when helping hurts, backwards, right, or whatever. And so we're, we're figuring this out. Where are the needs that are around us, and how can we in creative and simple and sustainable ways find a way to step into that? Because this could be just the difference between uh, sacrificing to the money God versus sacrifice to the one true God, because we do have a God that we love and serve and have been called to offering up our bodies and our resources as living sacrifices to him, and we can do that. But the difference in the end of sacrificing to the one true God is there's going to be joy, there's going to be peace, there's going to be refreshment, sustainment, there's going to be stuff that you wouldn't trade for the world, even if you ended up having less resources at the end of the day. Something to consider. Who am I sacrificing to? Um, so, so we can seize, we can sacrifice, and, and, and this last one's a little heavier, suffering. That last line there, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. I, <laughs> you know, I, I don't pretend to be a expert on uh, sustainable stuff, or, um, you know, fair trade things, um, recycling. Okay, I grew up in the woods of northern Michigan, right? We had a burn barrel. Like, that's, that's what we do, did. I'm getting better. We have, uh, I, you know, there, there's stuff that I hear, though, of, of all the human trafficking that's going on in our world, or, and that can go from um, sex slavery all the way to mining and stuff that goes into a lot of our technology and things like that. And I know, okay, I'm not saying I know the ins and outs of all of this, so I'll defer, but I, I think it's enough of a thing that there's something going on. And what I see here is just sort of a timeless opportunity, even in the Roman Empire, of living life in certain ways where we get so caught up in our thing and our appetite and what we're doing that there is stuff happening around us that we might not even think about, but we might even be contributing in some ways to suffering. And I don't... I don't know. I, I think that this goes hand in hand with idolatry. I, I love that quote from Calvin, just like everybody else, our hearts are idol factories, but idolatry doesn't only live in our hearts. It's not a victimless crime. It, in throughout the whole Bible, it, it harms human bodies. That's what happens when idols are being worshiped in our world. Human bodies are going to pay the price and in some way or another. And there are some hard questions that I think would be fine for us to just ask in a safe place, knowing that God loves us as much as everybody else and gave him his life up for us, but can we ask some hard questions about uh, where we're at with some of this stuff? I think it was Katie Prefontaine who sent me this link a few years ago of, of, of a website where you punch in like, the tech that you own, the brands that you wear, uh, you know, certain stuff, and it will calculate it somehow, and it will then tell you how many slaves you own. 
or, or that you're affiliated with. I don't know. It seemed like a legit website to me. I don't know, though, who put that together, all right? So don't hate me, but I'm just confessing right now. I might be affiliated with 12 slips, at least at the time of taking that test. You know, and it's, it's one thing to not know, but when you start knowing, that's when you have to just start praying and thinking about what level do I want to contribute to suffering in the world or, or what, is, what is something that I can do? And I know that we look at global issues and we hear Christine Kane say things that there's more slavery in this world than there ever has been in the history of humanity. And, and sometimes we can just feel overwhelmed by that and just go, I don't know what to do. I didn't even know. What my dad always says is, do not let what you can't do stop you from what you can do. It was either my dad or Tom Selleck that said that. And I'm gonna give it to my dad. It's still true. What I can't do is, is something I need to reconcile with, but there's stuff that I can do. We can take steps forwards. I know that in times like this, we do need to look in the mirror and tell ourselves, look, you are not the Messiah. You're not the savior of the world. You're not the one that's gonna, in a sense, be the one that solves all of this stuff. But that doesn't mean we're not on his team. It doesn't mean that we don't have his same passion, his same heart, and his same eyes for the people who are suffering in this world. And he is so excited to invite us in. Something we can do is we can be devoted to in a sense, to say, I am not gonna participate in suffering. If there's, a, if there's a way, I'm gonna take a step forward in sustainable ways, right? I'm gonna take a step forward into this and look back on my life and say, I'm way farther now than I was before because this is what the kingdom of heaven is doing in this world. And I wanna be a part of it somehow. And I desperately just wanna encourage you today to say, uh, because our Savior didn't stop at the one yard line he went all the way, and he invites us into that all the way. Pick up your cross and follow me wherever we're going to go in this world. I know I ended super short earlier, so I think I have a little bit more time, but I wrote this parable a long time ago about the difference between this moment, you know, and the difference between just receiving our salvation from Jesus and it was like, it's like this. You stand at the gates of heaven and you're about to go in. And this is great because, you know, St. Peter's there and he's like, yes, you're on the list, right? Welcome into eternal bliss. And um, you're just about to walk in and then there's Jesus walking out with like a backpack. And you're like, where, where are you going, Jesus? I just got here. And he's like, well, I've been known to do this before. But there's some suffering going on, and I don't know. I just want to go figure it out and help them. You're welcome to join me if you'd like. What do you do? And, and in that decision is the decision that we're kind of finding ourselves always in. As a Christian, it's like, yes, I do want to receive the peace and, and like the, the promise of 
you know, eternal bliss in the age to come. But I do, I'm constantly looking at this guy who's like, I'm gonna empty myself for the sake of others and take on the form of a servant and get in the game and see how redemption can get churned up in this world when nobody saw it coming. I don't know about you, but I think that's the guy that was inspiring to Polycarp all the way back in the beginning of this. And that's the guy that is leading us all throughout the centuries to destroy the gods that are amongst us because they hate us. They're taking our lives and they're, they're, they're ruining the lives of the people that are around us. And it's time for us to stand up and say no. So, Something for your consideration today. Am I serving money, God, and making sacrifices to him? How do I know? Am I seizing, spending stuff on myself only and disregarding suffering in this world? Or how is there a way where I can just be so inspired by Christ to get in the game and see what he would have for me? Maybe bringing him back into the conversation about our finances, maybe for the first time in a long time. If you do that, I just wanna let you know, there's gonna be times where it feels like pain, weeping and wailing, or it feels like death. But if there's ever a promise in the New Testament, it's that resurrection power is poured out on people who die on crosses. And so I wanna welcome you into the resurrection life of Christ. And we just gotta trust him to do it. So let's take a moment and pray together. We are so excited to be a part of your family. And help us to continue to take the opportunity that we have in our you know, specific context to challenge certain things that are deteriorating to our society, to our to the human race, to our world. Help us to, to step in in ways that, um, that would make sense for each of us. If there's anybody here today who have just been holding on so tight, you don't even know what it feels like to have your hand open anymore. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would set them free from that bondage and the fear of losing control and to trust you, maybe for the first time in a long time. I know that your whisper is still there right now. Just trust me and let go. If there's any of us who we just need to repent and just turn today away from following a God that is not you, let's destroy it. Help us to destroy it. Give us that heart and that spirit like Josiah had all those years ago to just break it down, break it apart and move forwards. But Jesus, most of all, we just, our hearts break for people in this world who are suffering. And if there's a way that we can be a part of your project of restoration and redemption, help us to see it and to have the courage to be able to step in with this little vapor of a life that we have to be able to contribute to where this is all going. Restoration, redemption, reconciliation, We're following you, and we're so excited about that. It's in your name and for your sake we pray. Amen.